0: Hey everybody, what's going on? Welcome in to another episode of Real Sports Talk by Naraj. Hope you're all doing well on this Wednesday, June 23, 2021. A lot of things to get into. Uh, What I will start with, although, is just previewing what to expect from the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, And then I'll recap a wild and exciting down-to-the-wire finishing Game 2 of the Western Conference Finals and what it means going forward for the rest of the series. So tonight is Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Finals between the Atlanta Hawks and the Milwaukee Bucks. Obviously, this is going to be a matchup in which you're going to see a lot of... You can see a lot of different, um, adjustments and, and changes throughout the series as, as expected because, you know, both teams obviously had an unbelievable run to the postseason and for the first time Giannis is in the spot where, you know, he has a, a chance opportunity to make it to the NBA finals and there is no Kevin Durant in his way anymore. He took care of that, um. If there is no Philadelphia in its way. Uh, it's just Trey Young and this young Atlanta Hawks team. They've had an unbelievable postseason so far. Um, so this is a huge moment for Giannis, the Milwaukee Bucks. Obviously, they've had their, their playoff struggles uh, in the years past. And this postseason, they've put it together. Obviously, with Drew Holiday being the new addition to all of that. Uh, the Bucs uh, have an opportunity now to really make it count and um, get to the NBA Finals. Look at the Atlanta Hawks. They've had an unbelievable run uh, this postseason led by Trae Young. Um, and obviously the coaching change for, you know, to Nate McMillan. There's so much for this group as they really regain their confidence, never uh, wavered. And they find themselves in an unbelievable spot now. Here in these conference finals, so, you know both teams have a lot of momentum going. Obviously, coming off uh, impressive Game Seven victories, and you know this comes down to you know what they're able to do uh, now at, the, at this at this big stage here. You know, gonna find out a lot about you know what these two teams are able to do. I mean. Trey Young has been an unbelievable role this postseason. And, you know, he's going to face a Milwaukee Bucks team that is really good in defending a lot uh, with their size and their ability to collapse the paint and really force some tough shots. So just looking at it um, and how it might go in this series, I think the first thing for Atlanta what's really gotten them this far in the postseason is their ability to make shots on the perimeter and to adjust. Uh, You've seen Clint Capella and John Collins be able to uh, really lock down the paint, play some hard-nosed defense. Now, you know, against Philadelphia, you know, all they had to really worry about was Joel Embiid, you know, and Brook Lo- uh, and you know, in this series, you know they have Brook Lopez and Giannis to worry about more. So, you know, now uh, Tobias Harris is a solid player, um, who can score and obviously different. But you have, you have Lopez out there in the paint. Um, Lopez can score. Lopez can score. Um, he can really do a good job of boxing out. So, look at the battle of the bigs here. I mean, if Giannis really has his matchup, you know, you'll see, obviously, John Collins take him up a couple of times. Queen Capella, for sure. But, you know, know, Giannis has Brooke Lopez down there. And, obviously, they have Bobby Portis who make it some minutes in this series. You know, so, both teams really, in terms of size and the paint, I mean, you have that there. You have John Collins and you have Capella you know, you got Giannis and Brooke Lopez, uh, not to mention Bobby Portis, who, if he does get some time to play in this series, it will be really, really important just to see how they all kind uh, of gel and mesh together. Um, but the key, like, for the Bucks, uh, or let me take that back. <laughs> Probably get to the Bucs. key for the Hawks um, in this series, if I had to list one, uh, it would just be that they need obviously the perimeter shooting to be on point. I mean, you need guys like Al Nari and Lou Williams and Kevin Hooter who had a really good game seven to keep it going. Atlanta's only gonna be able to win this, uh, win any games in this series if they're able to get hot and reliable perimeter shooting because the Bucks are gonna come at them and, and, and they may make it physical. I think that's what this series is all gonna be about. It's gonna be about you know how well can the Hawks keep their shooting going? If it gets physical, they're slowed down a lot. You know, are they going to be able to find their way back into a game? And for the Bucks, I would say is that they've seen what Atlanta has done all this postseason long. You know, no lead is safe from the Atlanta Hawks at all. Um, so, can the Bucks complete uh, finish and defend? Um, you know, force mill force the Atlanta Hawks to be play inside a lot. Yeah. So it's going to be a battle of, you know, how both teams really go at it. I think in terms of defending Trey Young, you're going to see Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton probably take those responsibilities, you know. And I think for Giannis, he's going to have to stay as aggressive as possible, um, you know, because they are going to throw a lot in his way, but. Giannis, you know, is a two-time MVP and you know, Defensive Player of the Year. You know, he's gonna have to dominate. It's his time to dominate as, as a superstar as he is. You know, he made some really good baskets, a lot of good shots. As a Brooklyn that's, he needs to keep that going. He needs to take on the initiative of scoring, getting it going. Uh, battling on the boards will be crucial in this series. Extra possessions will be very important to get for the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, and I think that both teams, um, you know, they obviously are going to be able to throughout this series. you'll you see a lot of different lineup changes, and I think for Drew Holiday, um, the key for him is to obviously try to keep Trey Young um, in check, defend him as much as possible. But the mo- most important thing is that the Milwaukee Bucks need to make the Atlanta Hawks work defensive end they need to make them work a lot on the defensive end you know if you're able to make them work on the defensive end a lot to Trey Young you know you got a chance to really score and put up points so I think you know for Giannis and the Bucks to really win this series they're gonna need Chris Middleton um you know Chris Middleton, Rick Lopez, Drew Holiday, you know Pat Connaughton the Milwaukee Bucks are going to need a balanced scoring effort to beat the Atlanta Hawks because we know that Atlanta Hawks, even if one person is off and not having a good game, there's like two other guys who can, who can put up like 20 points in a flurry. So I think it comes down to the Milwaukee Bucks really trying to, you know, lie on their defense, speak on the perimeter, it really force Atlanta into tough shots close out in their spaces but don't foul you see too many fouls that the Hawks have been able to draw on the perimeter being able to just uh, you know pump fake and then draw a foul attack the rim so the Bucs obviously you know how Mike Hoser really because of the game plan to like slow down Atlanta and the half court set especially on the perimeter on the side so it'd be crucial um, but but you know, it's more of can the Bucks stay disciplined? Can they sustain a lead? You know, can they finish? Can they finish strong? And, you know, you may see a situation where, you know, the Atlanta Hawks may try to, you know, at some point, try to maybe put that, put uh, Giannis on the free throw line as they did with Ben Simmons. That could be, be very, very possible as well. Um, so it just comes down to Mike Wittenhose being able to make the right adjustments. Pick uh, McMillan, you know, they're not going to be able to stop, be honest, completely. I, I don't see that happening. Um, but you will probably see a lot of double thrown his way. And, you know, it's going to come down to Chris Middleton, you know, guys like Brian Forbes, uh, Pat Connaughton. The Milwaukee Bucks are going to need a little bit more from their bench uh, to win this series. You know, Chris Middleton. Obviously, he, you know, is able to shoot at a high level. You don't have to do that big time because, you know, we know that Atlanta Hawks are going to put Galnari out there a lot, Bogdanovich. Um, instead of shooting, Atlanta definitely has a lot more shooting. Um, but the Bucs have played, you know, they, they've been kind of building towards all of this for a, for a long while. and I think that I think they're going to be able to really force the Hawks into some tough spots. Um, you know, and I think it's a home court advantage. I think the Bucs definitely need to win game one and game two uh, to put themselves in a really good position the rest of the series. So, you know, if I had to make a prediction, um, you know, I think that the Milwaukee Bucks are just going to be able to sustain a lot more. They have Giannis on their side. Um, and as good as Trey Young has been this postseason, and continues to be i just think that the Bucks are going to be too much for the atlanta hawks especially once the bucks have kind of figured out <coughs> excuse me ways to um uh, to really make trey young work at the defensive end make you know i think with the physicality with the with the length that the milwaukee bucks have i think Atlanta's is not going to be able to get too hard for the three-point line as much i think it will be a grind I think the Bucs will make it more physical than, you know, the, you know, the, the previous two opponents. And, you know, the, the Sixers definitely did that to a certain extent. But I think with the, with the Bucs, you're going to see them come out, be more laser-focused, trying to get their shooting on the right track. But they're going to make a lot of work a lot, I think, the defensive end, more than Philadelphia did. And I think that Bucs will end up winning this series in about five games. I think that will be the... That's, that's what I'll go with. I think they'll win in five games. Um, you know, Atlanta's had a great run, and sure, they can probably make this a long series. Um, but I think that Jan is just knowing what's at stake and how he's been kind of really getting ready for this moment. Uh, I think you're going to see the Milwaukee Bucks come out with some intensity, some focus uh, to really slow down Trey Young. They're going to force other, other shooters to make shots. And I just don't see the Hawks... Um, doing that as well, uh, especially in Milwaukee, I think that the Bucks will find a way to, uh, to to make it happen. I think they'll be really strong on the on the boards, and I think that they won't give the Hawks like you know multiple possessions. I think it'll it'll come down to Giannis really having to dominate, and I think he he will d- deliver. He is facing a tall task, obviously, because you know you have. You know, the painters in terms of John Collins and Capella trying to crowd you and block you. Um, I just think he'll be able to to get it done. Um, you know, and he's just going to have to be able to hit shots. The Atlanta Hawks may want him to take that three-pointer or two. They may give him space to do that. He's got to be able to knock down, play like the superstar that he is. Um, so I got Bucks in five. You know, I think that they'll be much... Um, more prepared for what Land will throw at them offensively, and I think that one thing the Bucks do really, really well is that you know they can play without fouling. We've seen that in a couple of stretches this postseason. They can play some really solid defense when they have to. And I think that Giannis, Brook Lopez inside, um, really need to make sure that they stay disciplined because Trey Young, obviously his shot fix and his emotions, you're going to see a lot of a lot of things that the Hawks are going to try to throw at the Bucs and I think the Bucks' size and their ability on the perimeter is going to be able to hold Atlanta enough to the point in this series where even if the even even if the Atlanta Hawks do make a run in these games and do get a ch- you know do get up a little bit, I think that the Milwaukee Bucks, with their experience, um, will be able to win this series. So in this next segment, I want to talk about Game 2 of the Western Conference Final 2021. Uh, What a Game 2 it was as the Suns uh, emerged in a thriller over the Clippers, 104-103. to This was a game in which uh, it was physical. It had every bit of big shots all over the place. And, you know, you just saw a lot of... um, Uh, We saw Phoenix come out and really show the grit and grind they need to show uh, to get it done. Especially when Devin Booker went down um, in this game for a little bit. Uh, You know, the Suns team really, uh, under the leadership of Monty Williams, really did a good job of holding it down and being able to take advantage of the Clippers' missed opportunities down the stretch uh, to win game two. So looking at it, I mean, overall, they ended on a alley-oop, um, you know, big crowder from the, you know, inbounds area, you know, an alley-oop pass to the rim for DeAndre Aiden who dunked it over, I think, Zubak or Nicholas Batum. Um, but the screen set by Devin Booker and just the way that it all came down to, uh, great execution, great play call, and DeAndre Aiden was able to power it down and get the get the slam, you know. So it was really uh, an electric moment because, you know, based on just how everything kind of drew up, you know, J-Crow just passed it up, you know, Got Devin Booker put a screen on Batum, and, you know, Aiden finished it up. But DeAndre Aiden, I mean, what a performance he's had this year in the whole season. I mean, he's playing like a number one overall pick. Um, you know, I was a little bit hard on him early on when I you know, saw him play. Uh, but he's really been able to uh, get better and better. And he was a big reason why the Suns won yesterday. I mean, he had 24 points, 14 rebounds. Whenever they needed a shot, he was right there. Whenever they needed a block or a rebound, he was right there. Uh, he did it all yesterday. He did it all yesterday. How about Cameron Payne for the Phoenix Suns? You know, he put up 29 points. You know, just being a to get to the rim, get to his spots. Uh, he made some big-time shots yesterday. As Devin Booker struggled quite a bit with his shots, you know. He had about 20-some points, but he struggled to get, get going early on in this game. And he and Patrick Beverly actually, you know, butted heads um, on a play, which Bolden had to go back to the locker room to get stitches uh, to stop the bleeding that they had. Um, but you, know, you saw the Suns overall with Cameron Payne playing well, uh, Deion Raiden doing big things, and Cameron Johnson had some nice buckets as well. Uh, and the end of this third quarter, um, heading into the fourth, which really helped out the Suns. You know, the Clippers battled back and give them credit. They ne- they were never out of it, they stayed within the, you know, you saw guys come in and make shots like Rondo and Kennard. Um, it was a complete effort by the entire, the entire um, you know, offense. And you, you saw the Clippers score um, quite a bit, although Marcus Morris, you know, he's someone that really needs to score more. Um, I think, you know, he has been kind of, you know, on and off because of the things that he's been battling with the injuries and kind of wear and tear. But the Suns were able to, you know, keep them in check. They didn't get too much out of Terrence Mann either. You know, Terrence Mann was kind of quiet. But this game still came down to the wire, and Paul George, you know, got it going late, uh, made some clutch shots. Although the biggest thing that happened to end this game was that Chris Paul missed two free throws. Okay, I'm saying Chris Paul, Paul George, (laughs) Paul George missed two free throws. Uh, Paul George, you know, who's been so great uh, throughout this postseason run, it's another of the shots that he was missing, the three-pointers that he missed. He missed quite a few, and give credit to Phoenix Suns for playing some hard physical defense. Uh, Jay Crowder doing the same thing. You know, it was just a complete effort by the Phoenix Suns, and they were fortunate enough to win this game um, because, you know, Paul George missing, that, missing those, two, those two free throws at the end. And then look at the other end, the Suns had two chances at it. You know, one, they've doubled Booker, forced the pass to Michael Bridges, who missed a three. You know, and then it went off uh, Terrence Mann, and then the alley So, the Suns, you know, definitely were able to kind of weather the storm and get a game two victory. Although the Clippers, on the other hand, they missed a golden opportunity uh, to steal a game from the Suns. So, you know... Booker, I mean, he when he, when he, did, he did come back from the injury. Uh, you know, he got to the free throw line, was aggressive. kept the Suns right there, um, you know, close enough. And despite his turnover that he had late, you know, they were able to get bailed out by Paul George, missing two free throws, who's an 84% shooter. Just in that moment, just did not have it. And like I said, throughout the night, he missed a lot of wide open shots. Some good looks that so he left it short, um, and the Suns were able to take advantage of that. You know, I think going forward, although the Clippers bench will need more to do, do, do a lot more um, if they want to be able to make this a series. You know, Patrick Beverly, Marcus Morris, you know, Rondo had a couple of unique passes. I mean, Zubach played well, yeah, you know, Reggie Jackson played well, but you know, they weren't as efficient down the stretch. Um, but they, you know, they would—they would have won the game if they had been able to really, um, you know, avoid giving the Suns too much of the ability. That play, that final play—I mean, they should have known that that was coming. Um, and you know, the Suns definitely executed it much better than I thought. You know, because when you saw that point nine seconds of left you know you got to be able to throw it up to the rim pretty much and I'm just surprised that the fact that even though they had DeMarcus marcus cousins um kind of guarding you know they had DeMarcus marcus cousins guarding uh, the, you know jay crowder on the inbounds you know you just wonder if they should have just you know put someone else on the free throw line or you know try to box out aiden but you know these kind of tight games a lot of things are made a lot of teams, both teams made a lot of turnovers, unnecessary turnovers, um, and the Suns were able to dial a much better play, um, with, you know, obviously, with the re- all the reviewing and the officiating was kind of tough, because they had to wait a long time for them to review certain things, and the Clippers actually ended up having some time on the clock, um, but then again, by that point, the Suns were already, like, you know... No one was on the line. They just kind of, you know, didn't let Paul George even get a chance to turn around or shoot from half court, you know. So, a wild game. wild game for sure. Um, and this series is going to be, you know, getting going, I think, much more uh, in L.A. We'll find out because we know what's happened the last two times the has been down 0-2. So... Hopefully, Phoenix is able to get much better scoring from from Dan Booker next game. Booker, even though he put up points in this one, obviously, he wasn't his best self because the Clippers defensively threw a lot of things at him. Um, But, you know, he's going to be able to adapt to that, I'm sure. And he's got some great shooters on the outside and obviously, Aiden in the paint. Um, If Aiden keeps playing like this, if the Suns keep hitting shots... Uh, you know, they're going to take control of this series in a big, big way. Um, But very impressive to see how the Suns team responded without Devin Booker. When he came back, there were some tight moments there where they kind of looked a little bit out of place. The Clippers, you know, took a lead at one point. Um, But there were a lot of missed shots by the Clippers. They had plenty of opportunities to win in the fourth quarter. Um, But it got to the point where they had to rely on Paul George a whole lot. He definitely... Uh, just wasn't able to deliver. And then when he went to the free throw line, something that he rarely does, missed a couple of free throws. It gave his son's life. It gave his son's life. Um, You know, so... You know, it just comes down to that. Sometimes there's just... You know, you much as you have it going early on in the game or if you're, like, you know, still getting going slowly, you know, Paul George had played really well up to that point. Um, He just wasn't able to get... Those two free throws to bounce his way, because if he had done that, then they, you know, Suns may have not had a timeout. They may have had to go for a three-pointer. Um, so, you know, they pretty much uh, gave the Suns a chance to win this game, and they delivered in a big way. So, can't wait to see how this series uh, shapes out in LA, because we're gonna see a, we're gonna see a lot of more adjustments probably from every coach. Um, from Ty Lue and from, you know, Ty Lu and then um, Monty Williams. I mean, just knowing how this, the Clippers were kind of defending, putting Patrick Reverley on Devin Booker. I'm sure there's going to be a, a change in that. Um, but Booker, even with the defense that he was on him, he made some timely passes. And more importantly, Cameron Payne, DeAndre Aiden, one of the reasons why the Suns got the victory yesterday. So in this next segment, I want to talk about a really nice story um, as we march on uh, towards the Olympics in July. And I want to talk about uh, Shakari Richardson. Sorry if I mispronounced that. Shakari Richardson. um, You know, an exceptional track and field athlete, 21 years of age from Dallas, Texas. she recently clinched her spot in the olympics going forward um, by winning the uh, 100 meter race in eugene origin at the olympic trials she'll be competing i believe also coming up on this third next thursday uh, this thursday i believe in the 200 meter race um but very special um per, uh, athlete in person she Has overcome so much at an early age um, to be where she is at. You know, she recently, um, you know, recently her mother passed away. And, you know, just being able to kind of get back together and, you know, make sure that she could, like, go out there and pursue her dream of being um, in the Olympics and being able to compete for something meaningful you know, she went all out, um, you know, very special, got trailblazing speed, um, she had a great freshman season with the LSU Tigers, and then from that point forward, she turned pro, and ever since she turned pro, she's been able to do a lot of great things, I mean, she did also win, like, the 2019, um, title, um, who are in the NCCA, you know, championships with a a personal best record of 10.75 in, I think, the 100-meter race or something like that. You know, so she, from early on, um, kept impressing at a very early age. And when she turned pro, she took it to another level where, you know, she was being compared to some of the great um, Olympians athletes, you know, sprinters and track field athletes, um, that they are today, and, you know, she is very expressive about herself, it's really nice to see that, you know, talking about how she wants to be out there, you know, being bold, being, uh, confident in everything she does, and, you know, she does that in a variety of ways, you know, she wants to express herself, um, and... You know she continues to kind of work at it you know her family and her support support system has been great and just seeing how you're seeing more and more young athletes get into you know all these sports you know they all go through some challenges and adversity and for her you know she just wanted to really go out there give it her all um, live her passion live her dream and she's doing that in, in, in a big way very passionate about everything that she's gonna do and you know, she has high standards as any other athlete would have to you know make it for the Olympics so you know she's gonna attempt to become the first American woman to win a gold medal um, since Garrett rivers in 1996 so she's aiming high going for the you know going for it all and as I mentioned, ever since she really turned pro and started competing in events uh, all across uh, where she could, you know, she's been able to make a little big name for herself and, um, you know, got a great smile, great attitude. I'm sure she's gonna do great um, on a big stage. And hopefully she, you know, does bring home gold medal as well. Um, Cause that'll be even more sweeter and more memorable um, considering how she's had a you know a unique start to her professional career what she's been through being able to like you know get that inner confidence get that ability to express yourself um, you know to not let things kind of sit and she's been talking about a lot of things She continues to talk about it um, I think she'll make a lot of waves coming up in the years to come um, you know when it comes to track and field track and field it's gonna be fascinating, fascinating to see what she does uh, and, and how many more times she competes, and what kind of personal best time records will she set along the way? Because you know she's striving for the best, and that's all you can all you can ask for. You know, giving it your all and um, continue to impress and set many records, but also be able to leave a you know bigger legacy than that in terms of just personality, style, um, you know, raising in your level um, where you can be successful. And so far she's on that path right now and I think she'll need to do well um, in the years to come as she gets more and more experienced into the, into the sport itself. So now I want to transition to talking about um, some more first year head coaches. Um, who may have the better first season and I've done a couple already and I will actually end that um, preview with one more and that is three coaches that I I didn't get into who will be um, stepping in as first year head coaches for their clubs and that would be Robert Sala of the New York Jets, Arthur Smith of the Atlanta Falcons and Brandon Staley of the Los Angeles Chargers. Now, all of these three coaches are in different situations. Start with the New York Jets. You know, you got Zach Wilson. You got Elijah Moore. You got a young roster, uh, a young defense. Uh, a lot of room for improvement and growth as a team. And Robert Sala's bringing his West Coast kind of experience to this uh, to this job. You know, you're gonna see the Jets have a much different offense. And you know, question is, what other, you know, what can they really expect? What can you expect from the Jets this season, uh, considering what they have at their disposal in terms of you know being able to. You know, maximize certain guys, build, build a running game. Which they're trying to do. They they draft it really well. You know, they drafted extremely well, and it's all about how do these pieces all fit together. You know, how do they how do they fit together, and how how's how Ruffalo gonna do? You look at Arthur Smith. Uh, you know, coming from Tennessee, coming from Tennessee, had a good amount of success there. He's uh, bringing a lot of offensive ideas to the Atlanta Falcons. Still have Matt Ryan, no Julio Jones, Dale. Calvin Ridley is there. Um, you know, the question with the Atlanta Falcons is, you know, are they going to be able to compete as well? Are they going to be able to start games better? Because a lot of problems the Atlanta Falcons have had over the years is they start off really bad in these games early on, and they kind of take themselves out of the game. And question is, for well, Arthur Smith, you know, can they run the football well? Can they have an offense that puts up points, but also, you know, doesn't turn the ball over as much? You know, the whole dynamic between him, Matt Ryan, and this offense is going to be something to watch. You know, their defense does have some nice players, um, but you know, are they going to be able to compete in the NFC South um, with what's that coming coming at them? Hard to say right now, but. Arthur Smith does have a amount of experience and he is someone who's highly motivated as another coach to really stand out. Um, but see, in Tennessee, you know, he had Derek Henry and, and Atlanta, who do you have as a running back? You know, that's the big question. And Can, can you get a running game going at any point in order to uh, compete? Because that's something that they will need they want to keep up with the Saints, the Buccaneers pack the Carolina Panthers in the division and then you come to Brandon Staley who's a young head coach um, has a defensive background working with the Chicago Bears, the Denver Broncos uh, the Rams were number one defense last year because of Brandon Staley and you know he's bringing all of that experience defensively to to this Chargers team that has had a tough time of, you know, making the postseason lately, they do have an ascending quarterback in Justin Herbert, who won NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year, and you know they got a quarterback, they got a defense that hopefully can stay healthy, especially Durbin James. Um, but they're in a, in a division in which the Chiefs are still better. The Broncos have quarterback, uh, you know, things to figure out. Las Vegas Raiders are trying to make some noise. Um, So all these three coaches are in a pretty interesting spot heading into the 2021 NFL season. If I had to rank them from three to one, you know, I think out of all three who's probably going to have not have a good first season, I'm going to say the Atlanta Falcons. And I think because of the Atlanta Falcons, the reason why is I believe that, you know, they're gonna run into some road games that I believe that they're not gonna be good enough to win Um, Matt Ryan has been on the decline for some time now I mean he still puts up really good numbers and everything he's still a great quarterback in some ways but I just don't think that they have a good enough offense to put up points consistently I think they're gonna find themselves probably I think they'll play much better in these games uh, they will not, like, you know, get completely, like, beat up, I think. Because they do have a great amount of talent on their team and at the wide receiving this position. So, it really comes down to, you know, how do they perform against big-time opponents. I just don't see them being able to do that well enough to the point where they're going to be able to have a winning record. I could see them winning maybe four to six games. Um, but I think they just they don't have enough yet. Uh, in terms of of a defense, they need more on that side of the ball, um, and I think the Arthur Smith's gonna struggle because if he's gonna put a lot on Matt Ryan, uh, I think Matt Ryan's gonna have a tough time not having a you know reliable target. Now, really may turn out to be a a, a big time player, um, but I just don't see that offense putting up points uh, too fast. They'll put up points for sure. In some games, and they'll be competitive enough to the point where they may be able to win some division games. But I can't see them having a good. I guess they haven't having a good first season. They need more talent on that team. And you trade Julio Jones, your team doesn't get better. And I will stick to that until they prove me wrong. At number two, I'm going to go with Brandon Staley. I'm going to go with Brandon Staley, and here's the reason why. The Chargers, as a group, as an offense, they may be much better than the New York Jets, maybe. But they are in the AFC West. They are in the AFC West, and I just don't believe that they have everything that they need to put forth a winning record this year. They may come close to it, they may come close to it, but I just don't see it right now. And look, this is this is all about who will have the better first season. So there's a lot of variables that will change between now and September, but just going off what the Chargers are embracing in this season, in terms of what Brandon Staley is going up against, You know, he's got a lot of defensive background experience, which may help that Chargers defense. But I'm looking at Justin Herbert and his offensive development. You don't want to see a regression in Justin Herbert. And so you hope that he's able to play well. I think the Chargers are going to be able to, you know, be competitive somewhat. But I just don't see them being able to have a great, great season with make the postseason. I'll stand by that. Let me change my mind a little bit later. <laughs> but I think that out of all these three coaches, I think that Robert Sala may have a better first year only from the point of view that there's not a whole lot of expectations with the New York Jets. And the kind of success that he had with the 49ers, the kind of quarterback that he has in and, and Zach Wilson, uh, the Jets may be able to be a little bit better, um, and depend. They all all these coaches may have the first, like they all may have the first. They, you know, they, they have a may have a record similar to each other. Maybe all these teams. i know, you know, you know, Robert Sala, Brandon Staley, Arthur Smith. But I think the Jets are more set up um, to have a better coach for the long term in the first season. I think that Robert Sala I think you're going to see the Jets improve um, in some key spots to be able to win some games maybe that they couldn't win last year. Uh, I see them being much better. I see Robert Sala being much better because of what he's been able to kind of watch Kyle Shanahan do um, you know, over the years. I think that he is going to really do a good job of Getting the Jets to be a better team, I think they'll be. You know, they may not have the better record than the Chargers or the Atlanta Falcons, maybe, but it's just a, a first season and the totality of what they may look like. I think Robert Sala will be able to do a lot more with his roster than than the Atlanta Falcons. Coach Arthur Smith will do with his roster, and what Brandon Staley will do with his roster. Now I know it's bold. I know it's bold, and it's not um, being New York biased or anything like that. It's just going into the grand scheme of things looking at these three coaches and who may have a better first season I think Robert Sala is going to have it now it may not be a winning season but in terms of the roster what you can get out of, out of your your team I feel like Robert Sala is going to be able to do a lot more um in some spots than Brandon Staley will do with his, his team in the first year um and the same goes for Arthur Smith, the Atlanta foul. Because I think that Robert Sala being there with, you know, you know John Lynch previously. Um, with Harbaugh a long time ago. With Kyle Shanahan. I think that you're going to see him do a lot more with this roster than people are thinking. Um, and it all starts with him and Zach Wilson and this offense. Uh, I think they'll be making some strides this year. And I think he'll have a better first season. I think the Chargers are going to have, have some trouble in their division. The Jets may have trouble in their division as well, no doubt about that. Uh, you know, it, it always happens every year. But in terms of coaching, I think that would give Robert Sala a little bit of an edge. Um, and I think that he'll have a better first year than Brandon Staley and Arthur Smith of the Atlanta Falcons. I think that there's a whole lot of drama around the Atlanta Falcons right now that continues to kind of escalate. Um, not, 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 not a whole lot of drama, but you just know that that question is about Matt Ryan's future. It's kind of hanging over the franchise. Look at the Chargers. They just haven't been able to win in a long, long time. And even though Justin Herbert had a great first year, more game tape, more film study on him you know i think that a lot of teams will be able to figure out ways to you know you know go at him and i don't know if the chargers have the best offensive coordinated system i mean you know nobody knows you have the best offensive coordinated, but i don't know if they have have enough um where they can win games i think there's still a couple of players away um I think for Brandon State, it's going to take time because he hasn't coached, um, you know, from, going from a defensive coach to a, you know, may not go to, a big thing. And, look, Rob Sala's doing the same thing. Rob doing the same thing, but, you know, he's bringing along some more familiarity um, with, you know, Mike LaFleur. I think that's why they're going to be able to have a better first season. Um, whether they get to the playoffs or not, I think they'll have a the first, better first season than these two teams.